Hundred Days Collective. This is Take Two. Is Take Two. Mahan, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Thank you for having me, Debbie. It is lovely to be here. Uh, Very excited to get into it and have a chat. Yeah, so like when I first came across your stuff, I was like, oh wow, stoic. Like a guy our age in Ireland talking (laughs) about like philosophy and social media. I'm like, Mm. yes, (laughs) finally. Like what got you into stoicism? Well, yeah, it's a bit of a funny story. Like I did philosophy in college. So like I would have studied for my BA, I did philosophy and they literally never mentioned stoicism once to us. Like it just didn't come up at all, which is pretty common for like academic philosophy. So during the pandemic, I was struggling like everybody else having a hard time, like having anxiety, just like not having a good buzz. So I was kind of, I don't know exactly where I found it, but it was online somewhere and I was reading something about stoicism. And then I got a book by a guy called Donald Robertson, um, who wrote a book called How to Think Like a Roman Emperor. I actually had him on my podcast a while back. Like he's, he's the guy, like he's a CBT um, therapist, but also Mm. writes about stoicism and is kind of this like, almost like integrating people into like a new kind of psychological, philosophical stoicism. Um, And that got me into it. And then it was one of those things where it's like, you know, when you do something and it just works, you're like, okay, this is actually like has an effect. So for me, it kind of proved itself very quickly. It wasn't like, I I didn't need like too much complex arguments to believe it or anything. It was just like, this is actually helping my life now. So I've been into it now for the last two years maybe um Mm. whereas I would have been very into philosophy but not specifically stoicism okay and like what what would stoicism for you be in this like case Mm. scenario like for anyone that's like their first time coming across stoicism even hearing the word stoicism yeah Yeah. because there's a there's a bit (laughs) there's a lot of misconceptions about stoicism really there's like yeah there's a difference between like lowercase stoicism which is the like stiff upper lip kind of like you know repressing all of your emotions and not saying anything Mm. um and then there's uppercase stoicism which is an ancient philosophy from 300 bc um that began with a guy called zeno uh of citium who was a student of socrates and went on for about 500 years through ancient Greece and Rome. And then there's like Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, uh, Epictetus. These are kind of like the big names, but most of Stoicism is actually lost, to be honest. But um, like, we don't have very good records of it. But to answer your question, like for me, Stoicism is a way of life. It's a value system. Like it tells you what's important and how you should focus your attention on specific things in order to minimize unnecessary suffering and be essentially be able to take on adversity and live a good life, a virtuous life, a Mm. meaningful life. That's what they're aiming at. And I think there's some like, there's great wisdom in it, I suppose, which is something I was looking for really. Mm -hmm. I think like I've actually started to like read stoicism again and like i just picked up marcus aurelius mm. there Ooh, and nice. yeah starting from the good stuff you know um mm. but uh, like the one thing that i find so fascinating is the focus on you can't control anything like there's like yeah. an element yeah. of just like you lost complete control over 
sometimes even your physical body like getting sick or something like the pandemic which obviously all of us Mm -hmm. I wonder how many times we've like spoken about it now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, man, it's got to be <laughs> like, into the billions. I just remember point. like the moment that I said mm. pandemic, I saw this post on Instagram that there's like a pub down in Kerry, I think, or Kildare. That's yeah. like they're charging people every time they mention <laughs> Every time they're like, shit, small talk. <laughs> yeah, like pandemic. two euros or something. I, I should yeah. really do it, honestly. Cause, oh um, man, it'd be rich. But yeah, like there's so many things out of our control and like it can yeah. get really overwhelming. Mm. And right now, social media uh, is so loud. Like we're being bombarded with mm. everything, like fighting for our attention and just this is newsworthy and this is newsworthy and I am really angry about this. So you should be really angry about this as well. <laughs> yeah. and it's one of those things where like I see it helping me in the fact that like I'm not getting as angry anymore the one thing that probably I wouldn't even say like doesn't anger me but sometimes just like frustrates me a bit is that you can people can really use social media for like open conversation like that's my thing I want conversation I had a philosophy teacher Mm -hmm. tell me agree to disagree is like the stupidest statement ever and he said because you're shutting down that person's side before Mm -hmm. like you're not listening to them you're not finding a common ground so that's like the one thing that i'm like oh come on guys like do better do better yeah um yeah and that's there's so much in there like the the initial thing you're touching on there the stoic fork which is basically like one of the core kind of principles of stoicism which is like some things are under your control and other things aren't and the things that aren't under your control are things like status reputation the opinions of other people your health kind of external things whereas the things that are internal to you, your attitude your judgments your character and um, your beliefs are under your own control and so stoicism kind of says you should focus on those things and not value the other things as much, which the exact same for me, like I was valuing way too much those externals and it was making me feel really bad. Like, especially mm-hmm. with like social media is the perfect example. I mean, it basically with social media, with any kind of informational technology, it has values baked into it. So Instagram have said like, okay, we rank people according to followers. So that puts popularity as the highest value on the site. Um, and that creates then, an arms race for that value but you know in normal life it's not like that i mean there's a certain element of it but it's not like you have a number above your head that like tells people you know how many people like you at any given moment like yeah. that's uh, how many points like how many points have you got like how yeah what's your cool points at the moment um because it would drive us mental like and mm-hmm. yeah stoicism at that particular principle for me has been is something i still i'm like what am I focusing on? Is this something I can actually do something about? Is it not? And it's it's a hard thing to decide because there's a lot of stuff we can do. I mean, there's a lot of people we can help in different places and there's a lot of like, you know, what do we take responsibility for and what don't we? Um, and that's a very difficult question. I don't think it's one that's easy to answer at all, but stoicism kind of says how you should go about it at least. And how should you go about it? So, I mean, in the way that I do it is that I focus more on the things that are internal to me, you know, my decisions, 
my attitudes, how I'm looking. I mean, another principle in Stoicism is that we suffer more from our opinion about things than the things themselves, or we suffer more from our views of events than the actual event. Um, and this is actually, I don't know if you know this, it's a bit of trivia, I suppose, but um, the foundation of CBT, which is like the most scientifically reputable kind of therapy, uh, is actually based on Stoicism. So oh. Aaron T. Beck and Albert Ellis, who were the originators of CBT, um, studied Stoicism and specifically reference it as being the philosophical basis for CBT psychology, which is really interesting. That's the guy, the guy Donald Robertson I had um, was a CBT guy, but then got into Stoicism and realized, oh, this is kind of the same thing. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So, so I suppose one note on that is like that CBT is all about reframing things and that, you know, the meaning you transpose onto a situation might be really stressing you out, but it might not be the actual, you know, it might not be what's going on. And to learn these tools to kind of question your views of situations and to be able to deal with your perceptions in a way if they're harming you or if they're causing you, you know, a lot of negative emotion and a lot of kind of discomfort in your day-to-day life. Um, so mm. Stoicism offers us tools for getting control of those um, more difficult emotions. Yeah. Exactly. And what I find so fascinating about philosophy, which, so I started studying it at 16. So like Maltese educational Mm. system is very different. We have A-levels similar to the UK. And Mm. I remember being so fascinated by how nearly everything is influenced by philosophy. Like these are the founding fathers of Mm. everything. I love yeah logic. democracy. I mean, yeah, democracy, you know, science, but, everything. <laughs> even like oh, co- code, like binary. You know, like it started mm. with logic and trues and falses instead of ones and zeros. Like, it's it's crazy. Um, yeah. So I find it so interesting how CBT. Like I I didn't mm. know that about like stoicism, but it makes so much sense because. It, I, I remember like trying to tap into CBT a little bit and it's just constantly like questioning basically like, are you sure about that? Like, uh, yeah. are you sure that mm. uh, this person hates you or is it like your mind making this narrative up to defend yep. like to For like save yourself from something else? Yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah. That Socratic Crazy. disputation is like, that's based on the, the questioning of Socrates basically. Um, mm. that they would have done. So he had a thing called the Ellenschluss, which is not actually a German word, but I just can't pronounce it properly. Um, <laughs> but it's that kind of, I don't know if you've ever read any Socrates, but it's all written by Plato, but it's just him basically asking people questions until they fall apart and have no idea what, like he'd go talk to like a military general about courage and the guy would be like, oh, I know what courage is. And then he'll ask him loads of questions. He's like, oh, I, I have no idea what it is now. And that's kind of the whole thing. Yeah. But that was the inspiration for that where you like you question yourself and you go oh maybe i don't actually know this for sure like maybe these mm-hmm. people don't hate me maybe i you know picked up on one thing and then i've just kind of made this big assumption about it and it's caused me a lot of stress so i should you know let it go um yeah but yeah that's one of the tools i suppose definitely do you think there would be a reason why right now like in this day and age people are so not just opinionated, but so sure of themselves. 
do you mm. like would you have like any reason or like what do you think the reason is behind um that yeah I don't think people are any more sure of themselves than they've ever been, to be honest. I think we're quite, mm. we're designed to minimize anxiety, really. And any kind of uncertainty is, can cause anxiety. So we're more kind of physiologically, at least in terms of, as far as I understand, with the left brain, right brain, a lot of it is about minimizing surprise and things you don't know. So we're not actually very well adapted for dealing with uncertainty or admitting we're wrong or like, you know, those things can be perceived as physical threats to our safety, to our, you know, our well-being, to our status, um, to things that really are important to us. So I think it requires, like, that's what the philosophy is about, I suppose, is a kind of discipline that makes you question yourself so you can, but it's like something you have to learn almost. It's like a path of kind of training to be able to do that. I think just with the technology, we just hear everybody's nonsense like we just have maybe if we went back in time and had twitter like 200 years ago it'd be absolute bullshit as well <laughs> do you think marcus aurelius would get cancelled if he had twitter oh yeah man i'd say he'd be talking absolute shit on it no i don't know if he would. to be honest marcus aurelius, if he was on twitter now um i don't yeah people wouldn't take too kindly to the whole emperor thing i don't know if that would fly nowadays if he was claiming to be the roman emperor yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think people would also get offended by him saying that, like, you are mm. responsible for your own reactions. <laughs> yeah. I know. Well, I mean, man, there's terrifying, like, some of the some of the things that pass for psychological or philosophical advice nowadays are just like the exact opposite Oof. of what people should be doing, really. Um, and can I think causes like it's not a coincidence that we have generations of people who are experienced massive mental health problems and we have more technology than ever and technically easier lives but we're still more stressed than you know we've ever been really and you kind of wonder why like what's going on what's become Mm -hmm. uh what is the changing fact i think the technology is playing a big role in it and we're not really grappling with it but also philosophically i think we're very vulnerable that's why i got into philosophy originally was because I was secular, so I had like no religion, was never baptized and always kind of look for a value system, really, or some sort of like, was always looking for like the truth or how to live. And that's what led me to philosophy, because there seemed to be, you know, people working on it, at least. That makes a lot of sense. Like we're kind of losing our, not values, but before, like like probably even just our parents' generation they mm. would have been the ones that were like baptized and go to church on Sundays and like yep. listen to me, obey what I say. And sometimes you can look at them and be like, oh, you guys have no emotions. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, I'm, I'm sure that like probably everyone in their mid 20s that grew up in a Roman Catholic country w- would have something to say about their parents, just like not emotionally. Yeah, of course. <laughs> being there or Mm. something um physically there (laughs) for some anyways um but uh, it is like very different right now I think obviously those that so I grew up in sports so my discipline was sports like go to training you have no say in this whatsoever I was very lucky with having like strict parents like that but uh, I do see how philosophy can 
slowly become your little bible to a certain extent like you not mm. even like holy word but uh, there are instructions over there that can actually like help you and not cause harm to other people particularly in stoicism i mean they're they're very blunt about it they're like you do this you don't do that <laughs> and it's very like there's no real gray area it's not like nowadays where it's like oh maybe you can kind of do whatever you want they're like no don't do this that's a bad idea do this and you're like whoa um which i don't really mind i mean I, the same thing for me like i grew up in martial arts so i was always like my church was going to training on you know saturday sunday Mondays, wednesday Wednesdays. whatever yeah. and that was like that was the thing that you had to go to i suppose um and interestingly stoicism is a martial philosophy so they were the stoics were all warriors like Sto- socrates would have gone to battle mm. they would have fought marcus aurelius would have gone to battle the seneca like all the romans would have had to do military service and so you can really see that shaping their philosophy as well i think that's the no nonsense angle for me a lot is that these are guys that had to face death and that had to kind of live in that threat of death always and so they had to figure out a way like how do i not fall apart and how do i carry this burden you know of being alive in mm-hmm. crazy conditions like we have no idea like the life that marx aurelius lived with him getting like the plague and like these like he, like one time they thought he died and uh, his wife ran off with his general and started a civil war <laughs> and like like egypt seceded against greece and like he was nearly dead and had, like i'm like tired getting out of bed in the morning like <laughs> i don't have yeah like we don't want to like open our laptop at eight <laughs> yeah i'm like oh this sucks there's no milk in the fridge oh <laughs> we like gotten slab it's silly oh, like <laughs> absolutely smoked like so right now anyways like if someone is listening being like okay fair enough but like we're not living at the time of the plague okay we have well (laughs) (laughs) yeah but like there isn't like war or there's no generals and emperors let's put it that way um how can you be like a modern day stoic because i think right Mm. now we're riddled with a lot of anxiety and depression yeah um yeah for sure but like okay we can look at the likes of philosophers that had to like go on about this kind of stuff but like we're also given quite a lot of choice and sometimes it can get overwhelming um what would you say for someone that like would question you on that Mm -hmm. that like stoicism isn't in context for the modern world Mm. i suppose yeah yeah so a lot of what stoics deal with is they're kind of universal problems so like the issue of the fact that some things aren't under our control is always going to be true like there's no There isn't a situation whereby we've mastered everything. There's always adversity. There's always an unknown. Um, We also still have emotions, which is a massive issue. I mean, Jesus Christ, if we had to figure that one out, it would save us a lot of problems. But um, we really haven't. Like, we're still running, like, caveman and cavewoman (laughs) 2.0. And we don't have, like, you know, we have these fears. We We get angry at people in traffic. Like, we don't necessarily deal very well with these things. So the emotions that they had and the emotions we have are the same and we have to deal with them in a sense. And that's, I suppose that's what I like about stoicism is it kind of brings you back a step. It's very easy nowadays to be concerned about like the big picture and everything going on, you know, like really to be, because there's so much to be concerned about as well. Like, I mean, there's like so many big problems 
but also how you look at the problems is a problem in itself so like we have to you know putting on your own airbag or your own air mask you know that metaphor with putting on your own um ventilator is that the word i don't know your own oxygen (laughs) mask first before you put on other people's um and Mm. i think stoicism does a good job of that that you know you can that we're all suffering from the same ailment essentially and you can get to grips with it but there's a way of doing that and i think over the course of i mean stoicism lasted for like it influenced christianity it had like such a huge effect culturally um, and was around like for 500 years in its prime. I mean, that's a good bit of time. It wasn't just like a, a bit of a fad or something, maybe like it is now, mm-hmm. but I think stoicism can help us deal with times that are a bit out of control and that we don't have, like the world's changed more since we were born than it did in the hundred years before probably. And it's going to keep happening. Yeah. I mean, I work in technology and some of the stuff coming down the line is like, who the hell knows what's going to happen? So, yeah. What do you think about the metaverse? The metaverse? Yeah, I was actually working on an event called Enter the Metaverse recently. Um, oh, no. In an, an online event. So, and we were dealing, <laughs> I mean, I spoke to a lot of different people about it. I don't like the Facebook one. <laughs> I don't particularly trust their their model. Um and I don't I, like a lot of stuff I talk about is like the web two business model, the advertising attention model and how that's an issue and how that's causing a lot of problems. So like a metaverse with that business model would be like scrambling your brain, like you'd be screwed. The, the thing about the metaverse, and I keep saying it to everyone because mm. I find it so fascinating, so fascinating. Yeah. And I spoke about mm. it on a previous episode, but the issue is Facebook. Like, yeah. you fucked them. Facebook now meta fucked up Facebook. Why are yeah. we going to trust the whole universe? <laughs> yeah, whole that you're completely universe. immersed in. But the interesting thing about it is they're not the only, I mean, they've taken the kind of, they've tried to capitalize on the PR and everything, but yeah, this has been going on. There's a lot, a lot more companies working on it. And the argument, I heard Dan Mapes, uh, who's a guy, he's the CEO of a company called Versus.io, and um, the author of The Spatial Web. So he was one of the guys that worked on Web 1 on the internet. And his way of putting it was like, there won't be one metaverse. Like Facebook might have their metaverse. Sandbox will have a metaverse. Decentraland will have a metaverse. Like all these other companies. Uh, The metaverse will be like the internet is. It'll be like the protocol. Whereas those metaverses will be like websites. So... Facebook's metaverse wouldn't be the overarching thing. It would be one website. It would be Facebook's metaverse. Now, okay. with network effects, that could be an issue. But it, essentially, the metaverse idea is like a new way of interfacing with the virtual world. It's like, mm-hmm. but AR and VR have massive problems. Like, we haven't figured that out. Like, it makes people sick. It makes them uncomfortable. gives you existential dread. <laughs> it's like putting a TV like this far away from your eyes. So, yeah, I don't know if we cracked that yet. Uh, to be honest mm-hmm. but yeah exactly yeah. like that's what i heard about like virtual reality because i'm so fascinated by this stuff and i think yeah. it can be used mm-hmm. as a great tool the issue mm-hmm. is if you're so obsessed we're already so obsessed with the life we have on our phone oh, and uh, visually like yes it's like over here but you can see the place around you if you're yeah. really obsessed with the tamagotchi world that you have like in a <laughs> yeah. headset <laughs> you know yeah. 
um, the, the moment that you take it off, it's gonna like you have to be emotionally prepared for something like this. Like it's nearly like you know when you when I don't know I might be exposing myself here, but like have you ever gone on a website where it's kind of like for an ayahuasca trip or a DMT trip, like a tour? <laughs> no, I would never do that. Um, um, I don't know. If I've and, gone and on specific websites. I haven't done anything, mm-hmm. mom, dad. Sorry, um, <laughs> but but basically, like the credentials or like the criteria is that you can't you have to be stable like you can't be going through a certain like moment or like yeah, time in yeah. your life where this shit will fuck you up man so yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things that as well like i think it should come with probably like a cigarette box warning <laughs> like each headset is like <laughs> you might get <laughs> just stick to the original vr man just psychedelic drugs that was back in the day that's how they entered the metaverse would be you know plants yeah. and vines and stuff but um, like an oculus quest comes with like yeah, a, like a tab of a pill <laughs> <laughs> they probably wouldn't be allowed to sell it if it did oh which is scary it's terrifying man and it's gonna get more complicated i think and more like we don't know what anything like tinder is like a revolution like facebook social media is a revolution you know every time somebody invents a new thing it's this massive social revolution and we haven't considered any of the side effects of it like engineers are solving Mm. engineering problems and for them it's like oh we made the thing and it works that's class but they don't consider is it a good thing you know is it ultimately going to be good for people or is it going to mess us all up and give us all attachment issues and make relationships very difficult and create these weird status hierarchies where nobody can be themselves and you have all these like Mm -hmm. just there needs to be more conscious or more conscience in technology and creating technologies of who they're creating them for and where we're vulnerable as human beings because yeah it's just going to keep happening yeah it's kind of like the instant i feel like this world is fueled by instant gratification from something Mm. as small as adding something to your shopping cart to even like a building or a project it's kind of like how quick can we get this hotel up this block of flats up yeah ugly as fuck look (laughs) ugly as hell 10 minutes but we built it in three years yeah exactly like (laughs) we built it in two years three years fill it up you know like it's everything is literally instant gratification on Mm. all levels like i don't know how long like churches would have been built for but like the chances of you seeing a Mm. church like working on a church and you never seeing it done was the norm yeah a serious commitment as well exactly like you would die with blue balls (laughs) <laughs> yeah you never got to see that sweet church being finished going, exactly exactly like uh, and i'm exposing myself here but it's one of those things that i don't know how to distance myself from a project the moment that i start editing a video it can take me 12 hours but i am not going to bed until that video is done like i do not have the yeah. patience which is something that i have to work on as well you know and uh, i was reading the other day about kind of like negative dopamine and positive dopamine yeah and yeah getting addicted 
exactly cheap dopamine that's uh, like easier but it's kind of like likes on social media are cheap dopamine hence why you keep going back to your notifications tab and uh, um i read up a little bit prior to this episode it's kind of like you're putting your mood in the hands of other people and it kind of like circles back to exactly it circles back to what we were talking about which is like element of control look i wrote it down outsource you're outsourcing your (laughs) self-esteem which yeah outsourcing your sanity to a certain extent and your your mental well-being to just whoever can annoy you on the internet how do you think stoicism can help with like a social media addiction yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm sure it can help in some sense. Um, I think to be honest, first and foremost, you'd probably need addiction therapy of some sort. I'm actually having Anna Lemke on my podcast in April. I don't know if you know Anna, she's, uh, she wrote a book called Dopamine Nation and she's an addiction specialist and okay. she talks about that a lot, but that it's a process more or less of detoxing from dopamine over a period of time having to build new habits and um but the big issue is i mean it used to be like people get addicted to smoking or drugs or alcohol or something like now we all have these phones that are like i heard one doctor describe it as like figuring out a way to get people to inject heroin into their eyeballs 24 hours a day because they're just as addictive and the dopamine circuit that is acted on by, as you pointed out, notifications. Like there's a reason notifications are red. It's because red is salient to us because it's like fruit because we're evolved apes. So you get a little hit of dopamine because it's like, oh, there you go. There's some fruit there. And you go, oh, great. So you click it. And then this keeps happening again and again and again. And so our threshold for dopamine is expanding. And interestingly, there's a relationship between dopamine and time, like your perception of time so the that everything's speeding up also is the more dopamine that you're having is dysregulating our ability to properly regulate our time <laughs> like we don't know culturally or as a society what that does at all like not to mention that dopamine is what the rewards for being alive essentially like it it motivates you to behave so if you get all that from technology what happens to our relationships what happens to like our the incentive to form, you know, deep connections with people where it's much more rewarding to just keep adding people on the internet all the time. Um, mm. The trade-offs are, they're becoming obvious now, but they're, how we deal with them is very like, I don't think there's anybody has gotten to grips with it yet. Yeah. We live in a fucked up world, don't we? Yeah. In, but also things are pretty, like, I mean, pretty decent yeah like they're (laughs) decent it's weird it's kind of Mm. like i don't know i think it's just a different version of the same shit you know um where before they were fighting for land then they were fighting for power money religion and now it's attention and money i think anyways it's just they're monetizing users attention basically and where is the line drawn when it comes to this kind of stuff good question that's what i've been trying to figure out (laughs) yeah exactly like where have you gotten with this so far not i mean we were talking about previously like the phd proposal i was doing 
is on social media companies monetizing attention and the ethics of it with the goal of creating recommendations for how to regulate it um because there's but it's it's just so complicated because like the attention economy is loads of different parts like it's not just social media companies and like if you just regulated facebook then tiktok comes along and they do the same thing or another one does the same thing and they end up in this arms race for whoever can give you the most you know junk food for your attention is going to be the most popular um and so if one doesn't do it the other one fails unless they can Mm -hmm. kind of differentiate it so we have a real problem that there's kind of a it's a big part of business now or it's a big part of the the economy and i mean we don't really make things anymore as much it is this attention capture model is going to be the i suppose the the new market or as it is um so in terms of how you deal with it or how there's different suggestions i don't know if you ever watched the social dilemma on netflix yep tristan yeah. Yeah, Tristan Harris, like his, in the center of humane technology, they're doing really good stuff. Um, they're quite, they're kind of lobbying for things like more transparent algorithms. That would be my mm-hmm. thinking, to be honest, is that the big issue is it, with social media is the content curation algorithms, because they're, in theory, we don't actually know what they're aimed at, is a good point to make, but um, people think they're aimed at engagement. So that's giving you stuff that if you're watching videos of people fighting other people in the street and hitting each other with bricks, it's going to give you more of that content until if you keep doing it, your entire newsfeed will just be like things on fire and people fighting each other because it's trying to push you to stay there. So whatever keeps you there is whatever wins. And it doesn't matter if that's like the most messed up stuff, which as you pointed out, like bad news sells a lot quicker than good news. Fake news sells a lot more than real news because it's not constrained by the truth. So you can just make anything up. So we have a, there's a real issue with that kind of algorithm. But if that could be changed to something other than engagement, um, to an, a goal that's a bit more socially conscious, that's a bit more aware of Such people. Um, so people have suggested like replacing the news feed with chronology. Um, so like instead of having it, populated by your choices it would just be like whatever's people are posting and focus more on your friends so that would be curated Mm. by say time rather than attention and there's other i mean there's other examples it would be interesting to have a personalizable so people could choose their own content curation like you could say i want it to be educational or i want it to be which we kind of can do a little bit but yeah um we're kind of playing off against ourselves a lot. Um, ultimately, I don't know what the answer to that question is. There, You could suggest things. Um, there's a philosophical idea called Sofferson, um, which is kind of temperance, but it's about the development of... It's, quite, it's a complicated one, but it's to do with the regulation of one's salience and a kind of like personal development. If you could have a, an algorithm aimed at that that would recommend people content to improve them. So like it would be calibrated by, you know, everything it knows about you, your personality, and it would guide you towards a more balanced position. 
that could be good, but it's very complicated. Um, and we know, I mean, we know what bad personality, like we have personality disorders. We don't want algorithms to make people more narcissistic or make people more, you know, make people psychopathic or these type of things. So you could just say whatever algorithm doesn't do that is the one that's good <laughs> rather than like the one that obviously messes things up. Um, yeah. So it just needs to be tilted a little bit mm-hmm. to the other way. Um, but that's not really happening at the moment because there's no transparency. There's no governments haven't managed to regulate it very well yet. Um, there is some stuff like the Facebook whistleblower, Frances Haugen. I don't know if you know about her. Yeah. With the angry reacts, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. She had some brilliant suggestions, um, for how that could be done in a better way. Um, but it's early days. I don't, social media only really got going like 2012 or so, or from 2009 to 2012 is where it came about. So I'm hopeful mm-hmm. that things are going to change. Um, and there's people making new stuff, but it's done a lot of damage, I think, ultimately. Yeah. The issue is always like what you were saying about the software thing is it almost sounds like an app in itself, like a social self-development social media app. But the thing is, is that when someone probably embarks on creating a different social media app a you have to look at your competition you're looking at billions of people every day and then also it's the issue i think the issue is the money behind the entertainment it's that higher engagement means more sponsorship opportunities the likes of uh i watched i don't know if you watched it the d'amelio show it's of Charlie no, and Dixie D'Amelio. Uh-huh. You know who I've Charlie D'Amelio is? I think I've heard um, of him before, yeah. TikTok kind of thing. TikTok. Basically, it's like a 16-year-old girl. Massive. I'm t- I don't know her exact number, but you're looking at her on like 46 million on TikTok. All she mm-hmm. was doing was dancing and just like having fun. Conspiracy theory is that TikTok at its early stage was choosing certain profiles, like handpicking certain profiles to push in front of people. And Charlie Mm. was like one of those profiles, just um, no particular reason. It's just like teenagers were following her. So just like she just blew up. Long story short, family moved to Los Angeles. Her sister is singing as well. And they got this whole like reality show. And basically this show is a 16-year-old breaking down mental disasters just anxiety attack after anxiety attack and at the point she actually said that she's like if i decide to stop doing what i do hundreds of people lose their job all of them yes because she has an entire Mm. team behind her and all she's doing is like posting little tiktoks like that's the weight of the world on you and it's also just money as well. Like, not only is she getting like a lot of monetization behind this stuff, like she's a million multimillionaire now. But like mm. people are also making money off of her. Not just companies, but also stuff. Yeah. And that's a lot of pressure to keep doing it. It's so much pressure. It's so much pressure on creators. And you you can always question whether or not, like, well, she could always back out like, okay, fair enough. Like at the end of the day, she's not exactly responsible for these people. But mm. I understand how 
if you go from being a middle upper class or even just like lower class, let's put it that way, and you're posting something that you enjoy doing and you're getting paid for it, of course you're going to keep on going. Like, as yeah, and in, you're getting loads of success and like validation and people know you. And also like, interesting what you said about the video editing and it's like, where do I call it quits? Like with social media, like where do you stop? Like where, like where's the line of just like, if you're posting that much and it's your job, should you record yourself 24 hours a day? I mean, that's kind of what reality TV becomes, but yeah, what does that do to a person? And what does that do to like, you're, we don't act naturally when we're on camera. It's not normal for us to be recorded and watched all of the time. And no. what happens when everybody's recording and watching each other all the time? <laughs> like people behave exactly. unnaturally. Um, unnaturally in a scripted way. And then you have mm. to look at the editing behind it. Because yeah. like mm. I've only started like this whole podcast like journey or whatever. And I'm trying to learn how to like create an emotion in Mm. like the storytelling within eight to 15 seconds with captions and close cuts. And ideally I just upload this whole thing, (laughs) but I know that that's not what, like, Mm. I know that people aren't going to listen to that. Mm -hmm. And I know it's not me. I hope, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, (laughs) But uh, it's just one of those things where, like, you do have to play the game, unfortunately, if you want to keep this going. Well, if you want success in a lot of platforms, I mean, there is a certain extent, but also who defines success and what, you know, what success is to one person might be different to another. And I think there's an element of that that has to be, you know, the platform is pushing you towards a definition of success there, which is, you know, whatever the successful people are on the platform. They become the model. Um, but in your own life, you know, setting your own standards for success is a very important part, I think, of being mentally healthy, of actually mm-hmm. saying, like, you know, for me, my life would be good if I had X. And so I'll pursue X. And this will be, you know, if I had, you know, 100 people listen to this, that'd be great or more. And like, you have to kind of set your own parameters. You know, what do you want ultimately? And um, if you can't do that, you're kind of stuck on this hamster wheel, um, which could go to some very bad places. Like I was watching, I don't know if you saw Johan Noah Harari. He was on, um, he's a writer. He's done a lot of stuff on kind of depression and modern problems. And he, he's written a new book on attention basically, but he was talking about these TikTokers, these really famous TikTokers on a reality show might be the same one. Um, but that they were like, they're all in this house together, reality show, TV, TikTokers. And yeah, yeah, that might be it. But they were going to play a game of basketball or something. So they like spent ages organizing the basketball game, like splitting up teams and like picking everybody. And then when they were there, like before they started the game, like one of them just like walked off the court and then the other one just walked off the court. And then they're on their all on their phones, like videoing themselves and each other. And they just didn't play the game of basketball. Like it just became like it just fell apart. And like what level can you live a normal life if you're building this alternative identity for yourself like Hmm. something's got to give yeah Um, i haven't watched hype house but maybe it's good um i watched it i think it's i think it's more unfortunate like looking at it because this is like a bunch of 18 year olds living in a massive massive mansion 
and there was this one kid, Vinny, and he lo- apparently he loves to stream. Like that's how he started, just streaming and playing video games and making connections. Not everyone's ball game, but like fair enough, you do you. If that's what makes you happy and if that's your purpose. And anyways, he came down and there was like one argument, which is, again, highly edited. But he started to say like, I don't want to film TikToks. All I- The only thing that works are thirst traps. Beautiful man, gorgeous. But what he was saying is that he loves to stream. But unfortunately, what's making money for him is acting like a fuck boy in 15 seconds <laughs> on, on TikTok. TikTok. Exactly. No. You know, and and it was like a little dilemma of him just being like, but uh, like he was kind of like calling himself out because sometimes when you come across these, uh, sometimes when you come across these TikToks, you just want to drop your phone. You're like, oh, what did I just see? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, like, no, (laughs) Hmm. like put a trigger warning next time or something like, uh uh, no. But uh, I actually felt a little bit of sympathy for that man because I'm like, you see it as well. Like, you know it. And I can only imagine how much you get picked on by people or being told that you're cringe. But like, in reality, you're spending five hours upstairs streaming, but you have to do this just to like get the bills, you know, just like do a little check mark for your brand deal. Yeah, yeah. I, I sometimes I think that the solution to this is like everyone going by like an alternate like a like a different identity or something like yeah the, well there's a lot of that in like the metaverse thing or web three which is yeah. I'm doing a lot of stuff on um there is the idea of a digital identity or decentralized digital identity that you'll have basically an independent profile that you won't be affiliated with any specific site and that will when you go to those sites, you don't have to give them your data, basically. This is something that I wanted to kind of cross into, which is actually that there's there's people trying to build solutions to these things in Web3 and in the new kind of internet. There's this new kind of model emerging from different companies, really, of like a creator economy whereby, you know, you have a community and you monetize it with tokens, um, whereby, you know, you people can buy stocks in you, basically. And it kind of gets rid of the need for the platform algorithm type thing. So creators mm-hmm. will have their own audience. Um, this is very, I mean, it's the intersection of like cryptocurrency, online creative stuff, and then like Web3 technology. So like wallets, uh, decentralized identities, um, having, I'm trying to think specifically of one guy that I was speaking to, things like uh, DAOs, which are, decentralized autonomous organizations um this is a new kind of collective that's emerging essentially uh, which offers people a more democratic kind of internet and a way of monetizing things without having to you know post tiktoks of yourself every 15 seconds i mean maybe you'll still have to do it in a decentralized way but i don't know yeah um but there's there's some things emerging at the moment that are trying to offer an alternative um, mm-hmm. it's kind of like patreon right Did you, yeah like... very similar but the idea mm-hmm. would be you wouldn't have uh, patreon would still have some level of interference in it and that you wouldn't have a patreon essentially you'd have a community of people that are all um they're essentially the more invested the community the more the token is worth and then that's a representation of the 
the value okay. of this kind of movement or whatever. But um, it's an interesting. I don't fully. I'm still exploring yeah. it, but it is definitely a. Um, there's a lot of people working on it, and the alternative is like what China have done. So like with TikTok, like the things that China recommend is like nationalism mathematics and like they control like the categories basically on tiktok and that's Mm. the authoritarian reaction to this technology which is a big possibility like that's a real problem if governments decide to go that way i don't necessarily agree with that but it's one one way that it's been dealt with and so we need a more democratic solution um a way that people can be protected from these technologies but also be free at the same time Hmm. and our democracy right now is in shambles (laughs) not so good (laughs) is not Not so so good good. Uh, i was going to ask you how do you deal with like sometimes like a political situation and Mm. not getting infuriated by Mm. certain decisions because i just sometimes i think that's like what gets to me probably is the issue of we're losing touch of democracy entirely, entirely. And the ability to communicate together and make sense of things and people just seem to come out with more outlandish stuff. Um, I think there's yeah, a real danger to us being rational. I mean, you can end up in like, I mean, conspiracy theories can turn out to be true and stuff and whatever. I'll always listen to anything, but like people's ideas are getting more idiosyncratic and more further from reality and i think the technology kind of fuels that and the times that we're in it's been very bad for it like it as tristan harris said it tilts you towards crazy town like there's an interesting thing like 60 percent of um kind of like yoga moms that would have been into like organic foods and like health food kind of stuff were then recommended anti-vaccine groups by the Facebook algorithm and were moved into like more extreme groups. And whenever you think about vaccines and stuff, the issue with the technology is it pushes you to where you're going to, wherever sticky and something like that the government is trying to poison you with vaccines is that's going to hold your attention. Like that's going to, if you start to believe that and you know, whatever about any of that stuff, like I'm, I'm not really making that argument, but it will push you to extreme opinions because that's where we pay the most attention. And so our mental health is really in danger of, and by consequence, our society, because sensible opinions don't really do very well in the digital world. There isn't much of a, that's why I like podcasts, because you can actually talk about things and you get to hear everything out and, you know, it's a bit better there. But I don't think that problem's getting any better, to be honest. Sorry, it's all doom and gloom no. here. I should probably <laughs> say some things that are a bit more positive. But um, yeah. yeah. We're in shit. You're going to die, Momento Mori. <laughs> we're going to um, die. But remember. We're going <laughs> Exactly. Um, yeah. No, but like, I, I understand. I'm on the exact same page as you when it comes to this. Because you mm-hmm. they are just shutting down communication at the end of the day. And yeah. mm. not even like sensible people. Because I hate like not even like a victim mindset, but like, I'm not going to be like, Oh no, I want to listen to a sensible person like myself. Cause that's yeah, yeah, an yeah. extreme opinion. They, to be fair, they will. Like, I mean, there are reasonable people, but quick note in the communication thing is that the, the platforms themselves limit communication in certain ways. So like Twitter with what 280 characters is like, 
maybe the only thing you can really communicate there is like outrage like or something funny like maybe that's the only thing that'll be successful so our communication is limited basically by the platforms themselves exactly which is yeah tiktok raised it to three minutes you have 280 characters it's just clickbait and um i remember i was watching mr beast on a podcast and he started just going on he's scientific about his videos and he said that like if you have natural lighting within the first 10 seconds there is x forgot the figure amount of chance that they're going to keep watching and everyone was just staring at him like what in the world are you saying like there is there is an actual science to certain things unfortunately like once we chop this up like uh, if I zoom in and out, someone is going to watch it longer. If I subtitle it with 10 characters, people are going to watch it longer rather than the whole sentence. As in, it is a psychology at the end of the day. And uh, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I wish that sometimes, I was talking about it the other day on a different podcast, but like sometimes the solution is having like a trust pilot for people having that on yeah, for like for information of like this person is talking shite <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly it's mm. just like funny memes you know because we need those people as well that just come back with the most like elite smart comebacks every now and again you're like Love that. i'm all for it exactly like you have to drop your phone and give them like a little clap or something like you need those <laughs> yeah. people it's what makes the internet the internet and that's like the beautiful thing about this is that mm. what are the chances that i would have bumped into you yeah. like uh, yeah. in real life like uh, i'm mm. a foreigner in dublin during like the 2.5 years of a pandemic i'm in my flat as in the chances of me like getting to know you are zero <laughs> yeah. unless like and we bumped into each other it, like... exactly exactly so um there is like such a positive side to things and i think that here you go something positive to it is i don't think essentially having this conversation is complaining about social media and it is healthy to question what's happening to our brains what's happening like with this whole dopamine thing it's okay to question governments as well right now that's the one thing is that you were talking about vaccines. If you question the vaccine right now, you're an anti-vaxxer. And you're like, no, no. <laughs> I'm just, I just yeah, want to learn. You get shoved into one camp or the other very easily. And unfortunately, that's what's happening a lot with all ideas, really. If you, it's, there is a big risk that you get pigeonholed now. Um, yeah. Which is, I think, is a terrible thing, to be honest, because people are so complicated that we all have our own experience and our own thoughts. And maybe to go back to like, how do you deal with the, the politics the controversy of it i always like to think about something socrates said which is that no one is perfectly wise so we're all like my beliefs are imperfect 100 percent. so is everybody else's we're all not dealing with the full shilling so we should have some humility when we're approaching mm. other people's ideas or our own ideas like thinking that our ideas are perfect and everybody else's are shit and so <laughs> it's worth hearing people out because you know you learn something from other people even if it seems off the wall you know maybe they've got it right maybe they're 90 percent wrong and 10 percent right and if you say they're 100 percent wrong 
then you're wrong. Ten <laughs> percent. So you can't yeah. discard people or their opinions. Is, no, exactly. You know. I I have such a bad habit of not crit. I criticize politics from the comfort of my own home without a device around, which I think is like quite good, like good stuff for me. But I always yeah. like to come up with like the solutions to the stupid shit that comes out of certain politicians' mouth. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like it, it is very true. It's kind of like I do have a solution, but like I don't have four million people to take care of either. So yeah, in, yeah, and it's always it always makes sense in your head. But then when you go to do something, you're like, well, hang on a second. <laughs> well, there's, yeah, there's exactly. all these externalities, but. That's the mm-hmm. stoicism again, you know, taking responsibility for what's in your control and doing that very well and that that's virtuous mm-hmm. to do. Um, yeah. And that's kind of, you know, a meaningful life. Mm-hmm. And like before we close this off, are there any actions or certain like techniques that people can take mm. up to implement stoicism into their like daily life? Just like little stuff that they can do. For sure, yeah. Just a couple of ones that I use, I suppose, daily. First of all, that one, the sphere of influence. You know, is it under my control? Is it not under my control? Um, the cognitive distancing or uh, Socratic disputation, which is just kind of like you're experiencing a mood or you're experiencing an emotion and saying, you know, is this really, you know, am I thinking straight? Is this mood creating the thoughts of my mind? So say you're giving off about somebody and you're pissed off at them and you're thinking this and that but are you also thinking well I'm in this mood and you know I'm thinking that all the things I'm thinking are true but are these things just coming is this rain coming out of the black cloud of the way I feel right now and you know should I take it with a pinch of salt and can be very powerful and one that I really like uh, is worry postponement so like if you're worrying a lot about something and it's in your mind and you're like this is just driving me mental as things always are um, what you do is you say, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to worry about this at 9am tomorrow. And I might write down on a piece of paper, I might say, you know, worry about social media content or whatever. And I'll then, I'll, in my mind, I'll picture my chair, I'll picture where I'm going to worry at 9am. And I'll say, okay, that's it. And so I won't think about it then. And then when 9am comes and I sit down to worry about it, you'll feel very differently. You'll probably go, what the fuck was I worrying for? Like, what, what was going on there? Um, so it's a way of taking the noise in your mind and saying, I'm going to deal with it then. But also, by the time I deal with it, the emotion is going to have gone down a bit. So if there is a problem, I'll be able to address it. And if it is just noise in my head, it'll have gone away. So that's one I really like. Um, and I employ a lot because I overthink like everybody. And it's a great way to kind of offset it a bit. Um, some good references, I suppose, to look up. I would definitely check out Donald Robertson if you're interested in Stoicism. Um, he's got books on Stoicism and Happiness. Um, he's got How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, which is about Marcus Aurelius and his work. Um, the Daily Stoic is good. Um, mm-hmm. Also, Massimo Pugliucci. Pugliucci. I think that's it. He has uh, books on How to Think Like a Stoic. And the best thing you can do really is to get into it and to start employing the techniques in your own life really is to be, once you can see the advantages of them, it'll, it'll start to, it'll be easier for you to read it and to be interested in it. Mm 
And I've never met anybody that has gotten into it that hasn't gotten anything from it. So, mm-hmm. you know, the proof is in the pudding, I suppose, with stoicism, is. as they say. Definitely. I think even just like the main takeaway is you can't control the shit. Why the fuck are you worrying about it? What exactly. can you do? What can you do? Yep. Is in yep. jack shit. <laughs> jack <laughs> yeah, shit except exactly. go for a run. And that the worrying, <laughs> like, you know, the worrying makes no difference to what's going to happen either way. No. You know, worrying about something, being afraid of something doesn't necessarily affect the outcome. Um, in fact, it could have a more negative outcome. So sometimes you're better off just not worrying and paying attention to it. And it's a better deal. Yeah. Maybe exactly. easier said than done, but. Always, always. And I think journaling um definitely does mm. help um the daily stoic yeah. is probably like the best beginner place where people can go it's a youtube mm. channel it's ryan holiday yep. um it's yep. like a little book set like uh meditations and the journal that comes with it for yep. every single day that gets you just mm. questioning literally anything that you can do anything yeah so mm. yeah definitely the little steps do you that's journal? another thing as well um i well i write so like i i'm writing all the time so more or less yeah kind of like <laughs> you're a professional unfortunately. <laughs> yeah i'm a human journal at this point like more journal than yeah. man but um also the values of stoicism are really useful i think like the four cardinal values are wisdom courage temperance and justice and they're a lot older than stoicism but they're kind of like the foundations of like what you should aim for how you should act you know what you should aspire to and these days it's kind of not that inspirational to be alive i don't know there's like kind of there's a bit of a void i think for millennials and younger that were like who the fuck what's going on like i don't get everything so you know nihilistic and shit so these values i think give you something to look up to and uh yeah i think that's actually worth a lot to be honest um in this weird Definitely. you know quasi fucking technological world yeah. Yeah, everyone's goal should be to make their life inspirational after this. I mean, man, get out there. Start posting videos on TikTok every 15 seconds. Yeah. Thirst trap. Yeah, just not a thirst trap, at least. (laughs) Or do you? Like, if that's your purpose. Look, I do think that everyone's feelings are valid. I think the one key takeaway that I want people to get is don't get offended by the stoic Mm. teachings. Don't. Like, it's literally nothing personal. Like, you feeling sad is okay. And that it can help you, like... Exactly. Like, it's there to help you. The Stoics talk a lot about love and friendship, and, like, they're really empathetic And when you read their writings. Like, Marcus Aurelius in The Meditations is just really honest about his life and, like, what's going on. And, you know, it's not this whole, like, oh, be a tough cunt and don't say anything and, you know, <laughs> be, like, be a big brick of wood or something. <laughs> don't don't be alive anymore but um but it's like look life is tough you're gonna face adversity you need ways to deal with it and that'll make your life better if you can do that um yeah and so that's that's what i think stoicism is about really not trying to fucking squeeze yourself to death not say anything like (laughs) exactly yeah for sure put your phone down pick up a book and get a pen as well while you're at it Thank you so much, Mahan. Thank you too, Debbie. Appreciate it. Cheers. Longer Days Collective.